0: Today's episode of Titus and Tate, we are talking to 2017 Most Outstanding Player Joel Berry. Uh, He is joining us in part, Tate, because the North Carolina Tar Heels won this stupid Fox Sports bracket. uh, uh, Who cares? Dumb. North Carolina won the Fox Sports Ultimate Fan Bracket. We're going to talk about that a little bit. You're excited. Everything's coming up, Tate, right now, and I don't like it. I don't like how happy you are on
1: these shows. Yeah, North Carolina... (laughs) Uh, luckily wins his ultimate fan bracket. I am so excited for the North Carolina fans. I was going to sing a little Isaac Zumba, 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 I, but but nobody knows what that means. That's, a, that's some underground North Carolina chanting. Uh, I'm very excited. And you wouldn't let me accept this, so we had to get Joel Berry on. He's yeah. officially taking on the acceptance of North Carolina winning this banner. So congratulations, Joel. Joel came
0: it. on. We talked to him a little bit about uh, – uh, Just his whole career, honestly.
1: uh, (laughs) We were supposed to have like five minutes with him. He was going to give an acceptance speech. And then we're just like, Joel, Teddy Valentine, Teddy Valentine. Talk talk about Teddy
0: Valentine. Talk about Grayson Allen. Talk about, I I feel like uh, we should have probably talked about some actually good things. And all it was, was like, remember the time Teddy Valentine did this? Remember Chris Jenkins shot? Remember Malik Monk dropping 47 on you guys? All right,
1: thanks, Joel. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring it back. We'll bring it back.
0: Uh, anyway, we're gonna talk to him. He he was fun. He was he was uh, he, he was a great interview. We're also gonna talk about the last dance tape. We got the Dennis Rodman slash it was the Dennis Rodman episodes, but then it became the Isaiah Thomas episodes mm-hmm. by the end of the thing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, that's what we learned. I mean, we learned that basically leaning in these episodes, we're going to jump around all these timelines. And if you have an expectation as to what the topic point is going to be, just get over it. You can talk about anything. Isaiah Thomas, he just figured out why he didn't make the Dream Team. Uh, we're going to talk about if all I that. Known, if I would have known. If someone just I, would have told me, uh, I would have done something differently.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're also going to pour one out for for a near and dear friend who uh, appeared on the show recently and is now out of a job. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit. His name is Danny Manning, and he mm-hmm. was just let go as Wake Forest head basketball coach. Uh, we have a jam-packed show. We're going to get to all of it. But first, Woody Durham.
2: He takes the
0: All right, Tate, it's Monday afternoon. We just got done witnessing the Fox Sports Ultimate Fan Bracket final poll between the BYU Cougars and the North Carolina Tar Heels. The votes are in by less than a tenth of a percentage. I didn't even know percentages could go that low. Mm. Uh, North Carolina, once again, ekes out the win. The Tar Heels are now the champions of this thing, Tate, Um you guys, I'm pretty sure if I go back and look, you never had more than fifty point one percent of the vote in any one poll. I don't know if I'm making that up or not. I'm I am definitely not just having sour grapes over all of this. Uh <laughs> congratulations, Tate. I know you're I know you're very happy about it.
1: I will say this. Uh, I had a lot of family members that were very invested because, you know, in the state of North Carolina, everyone knows the eight mile situation, Durham and Chapel Hill, and my family's all there in North Carolina. So I was getting a lot of, you know, tweet, direct messages, and text messages all through last night saying, BYU's winning, you know, because North Carolina was up fifty-two to forty-eight at some point, and I kind of checked that. I was like, "All right, North Carolina's going to win this thing. I'm going to wake up a champion. That's going to be nice." Uh, and then I look again. Of course, BYU with about thirty-three minutes left. My mom and dad had texted me. Mitt Romney has gotten the BYU fans over the hump. They're at fifty-two forty-eight. Can you please reach out to Barack Obama? And I, mm. and I, and I kid you not mm. because my parents think that just because I worked on a podcast with guys who wrote for Barack Obama, that I will be able to reach out to him to get him to Imagine, retweet the <laughs> ultimate fan bracket. You have the, access
0: to Barack Obama. You can ask him anything. And you're like, Mr. You're President. like
1: please tweet, please retweet the ultimate fan bracket. So, uh, you know, honestly, at this point I'm like, shoot, it's late enough. Why not? So I send a message out to those guys, John Favreau, Pots of America guys. I'm like, hey, uh, Mitt Romney's winning this. I don't like Mitt Romney. Do you guys want to, like, stop Mitt Romney? Like, let's team up together. You know, could Obama retweet this? They say just tweet a picture and tag him. So I do that. I tweet that. <laughs> I, tweet, I tweet, like, at Obama, you know, like, save the heels. I, and at the time, it's 52-48, and I kid you not. And then that tweet goes out, and then it gets to 50-50 within 10 minutes. And then we have, like, eight minutes left. And then boom, the Tar Heels win. So I don't know what President Obama did. I don't know how this happened. But all I know is that with 33 minutes left, it was over. BYU fans were tweeting at me. They were making fun of me. They were like, it's over. 48 percenter, you're a 48 percenter. Making fun of me, putting me down, you know, making me cry. All, all this sort of stuff. And then Barack Obama so, saved the day. Thank you, Barack Obama. You're telling
0: me this goes all the way to the top.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm saying that this as soon was- as Barack Obama got tagged, North Carolina shot up. And uh, I don't know.
0: Release yeah. the tapes. Uh, something happened. Something is—is is this what Area Fifty-One is? Tate is—is is, there aren't alien secrets in there? It's secrets on how to win Fox. <laughs> yeah. Where, Bracken where, Press. where
1: are the votes? The votes are just in the air, in the ether. Carolina, but Barack Obama. My parents, my parents, of Barack Obama—they won it for North
0: Carolina. Carolina did it. Um. Yeah. I'm. I. I. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm disgusted. But I. I will say, Carolina. In your defense. Uh. I got to see North Carolina fans up close and personal uh, this past season. Um, I went down to Chapel Hill. We both did. We were at the game together um, and I thought Carolina fans were very nice and very respectful. And uh, it was, it was really, really cool. They 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 love the Tar Heels, um, but they also were just so respectful to to Greg and I, when we came down to watch Ohio state win by 25 in the Dean dome. And I just mm-hmm. felt like it was so nice of them to all go home early and, and just leave all the bars on Franklin street to Greg and I to have Free reign to, to just get absolutely plastered. So um, I'll always remember that. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, and, and you deserve this. So congratulations, guys.
1: Yeah. And then all the fans, North Carolina <laughs> fans, are like, we played Ohio State tonight? That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's wild. I didn't even know that. When does ACC start? Yeah, that's when right, we start right. playing. That'll be good. Uh, where, yeah.
0: Where's the billboard going?
1: That's, that's a that's what I was about to say. The, the million-dollar question now, the local radio, uh, you know, people in Raleigh, North Carolina, Joe Ovius being one of the biggest faces of this, he's reaching out to me. He's telling me that Raleigh, North Carolina, they demand the billboard. The state fans, they're the type of people that they, they won't paint. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It gets them going. It gets them off. They want to be spit in the face. It's like uh <laughs> you remember Flavor of Love, uh, when what's her name spit in yeah, your Yeah,
0: uh, like, yeah. Oh, hoops? Was yeah, it hoops?
1: Yeah, 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 That whole scene. That's state fans. Like that's just like yeah. that's like that moment of drama, like a, a Myrtle. I, I call it a Myrtle Beach moment of drama. Like that's yeah. what NC State fans want. A billboard saying North Carolina has the best fans in basketball, especially when you think about state fans who they think North Carolina, they don't know how to be fans because they're wine and cheese, they're foo, mm-hmm. they're all these sorts of things. Um, so people wanted in Raleigh. I personally wanted to be near Coach K's house. Um, I think we know where Zion's house is. I would love to put it somewhere around uh, the route from there to campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fox Sports, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to reach out to people to see where to put it. The local people want Raleigh. Mark Titus, do you have a say? Can can you sway this one way or the other?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I think Raleigh would be the better play because All I right, think it pissed go. Duke fans off. I, but but then you're kind of playing into what uh, state fans want. Mm. I think exactly. I think the ultimate because th- so the, the the criticism against North Carolina fans is how pretentious you are. You just said it yourself yes. the wine and cheese. You wear the khakis. You wear the the polo, the button ups with your monogrammed initials on one cuff mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. a Tar Heel, a tiny little Tar Heel on the other cuff. Uh. And then light blue accents and then you throw the hair over and uh, every North Carolina kid looks every, – every adult yeah. looks the same. You're yeah. all pretentious. I think <laughs> the most pretent- – the, the way you lean into this, Tate, is you, the, the most ultimate pretentious thing you can do is say we have no rival. We have no troop mm-hmm. here. Uh, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't want the billboard. We don't, we don't care.
1: See uh, that's Duke that's that's yeah. the Duke approach. That's like one that's one step above us we're we're pretentious, but we're not that pretentious. <laughs> that is true. you know what I mean And that's why I state you know like you're we're not that low and uh, that's why it's a weird place to be when you're in the middle we're We're basically Malcolm in, in the middle. middle. Uh, Frankie Muniz shout out to Frankie Muniz from Wake Forest North Carolina. Uh, um, he is he is Malcolm in the middle that's North Carolina at the moment.
0: Frankie Muniz is from Wake Forest in Wake Carolina. Forest, Wake Forest know, isn't even from Wake Forest. Did you Frankie know that
1: is. Frankie Muniz and I had the same fourth grade teacher? Shout out Miss Johnson. Uh, she taught <laughs> both of us, uh, I wanted to be Frankie Muniz. I was not. Frankie Muniz was Frankie Muniz.
0: Ms. Johnson, come on the pod. Let's discuss. Let's <laughs> yeah. discuss Frankie Muniz. He's way, way better. He's <laughs> way
1: better. He's way better. She's like Wake Forest school system, way better. Than uh,
0: Roy. So Roy went on the to herd today. Um talk about this and he as you said he said that he voted seven thousand times which is Mm -hmm. voter fraud and should Mm -hmm. automatically get this taken away from you guys but whatever (laughs) um but then he also said he was going to use this for recruiting and then lo and behold hate four-star guard Kerwin Walton commits Mm -hmm. to North Carolina today Mm -hmm. um do do you think I mean I'm, I'm just reading the tea leaves here did, did he do what I, I've always wanted a, a recruit to do, which is wait for a team to be crowned national champion and then say, I'm just going to whatever team wins a national championship. Is that what he did here? Did he say going into this thing, whoever wins the Fox Sports Ultimate Fan Bracket I, is, is where I'm going to go. They're, they get my commitment. And then he waited and then Carolina won and he's like, I'm going to Carolina.
1: My hope was that Matt Harms was going to do that. So Matt Harms mm-hmm. is going to BYU. So BYU that it gets pulled from out, you know, beneath their feet at the end here, uh, and then Matt Harms comes out and says, "You know what? I want to play at North Carolina." Then North Carolina says, "We don't have a space for you." And he goes, "Well, I want to play for the best fan base in college basketball." So I guess I'll see you in town. Uh, yeah, that could be a good, be a good moment. My, my father was very excited about this kid coming uh, to North Carolina. I, I did not keep up with the recruitment at all. I already know that. I already knew that North Carolina had a great class, so I'm like Dayron Sharp and all these other guys. Caleb Love, I'm already in on those guys. But I'm excited. Good to He was, get called, he was called to my
0: attention because he picked North Carolina over Arizona, and he was mm. recruited to Arizona by uh, our, our, a friend of the program who will never, ever appear on this program, Danny mm. Peters. Mm. Um, was, did the recruiting of him to Arizona. Uh, and then I started doing some digging, Tate. Uh, Puff Johnson is a freshman going to North Carolina. Cam Johnson's brother, yes. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, he's from Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Um, he also chose North Carolina over Arizona over his hometown team. He chose to come to North Carolina. So in the wake of hearing about Sean Miller on all these wiretaps, talking about what he's willing to do to get players, uh, North Carolina is suddenly landing recruits over Arizona. How does it make you feel? Is Roy flying too close to the sun tape?
1: No, it's good to be a Jordan brand school. No one's going after Jordan brand. Uh, Everyone's enamored with the Jordan brand. Everyone wants to talk about the Jordan brand. Uh, The Jordan brand is infallible at this point, especially you see it with the Fox sports fan bracket. I mean, it couldn't have worked out any better. Everyone's (laughs) watching Mike with Jordan at UNC, you know, all these casual fans coming in just clicking UNC. Uh, Yeah. It's a good time for all that sort of stuff. I think it's all kind Mm. of working out. And I will say this uh, Puff Johnson Great name. Unbelievable. It's a
0: great name. I like how,
1: how, how can you pass it up? And he's just like Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson kind of was a late bloomer. Ended up being a lottery pick, obviously. Puff Johnson, everyone's saying the same thing about him. The guy's growing overnight. He's like 6'5", 6'6 already. Um, so good things for North Carolina. I'm excited. I need a new team. I need new players. I need new people to pull for.
0: Speaking of uh, Jordan Brand, my high school, I'm pretty sure he's going to Jordan Brand. Oh yeah, I Brownsburg. You, I texted you that last night. Brownsburg yes. High School. They're, they're teasing the idea of uh, being sponsored by Jordan, which is hilarious that that, it, that it's coming up. But um, anyway, all right. Uh, enough of enough of this. Let's hear it from directly from the horse's mouth. The uh, the starting point guard on the most recent North Carolina national championship team, Joel Berry. All right, joining us now on the phone is the 2017 Most Outstanding Player. He is a 2017 national champion. He is the 2016 ACC tournament MVP. His name is Joel Berry. He was the point guard at North Carolina, uh, a, a North Carolina legend. I'll say it. Um, I don't know if I'm qualified to say it, but I paid attention to his career. He was great. He was, he was fantastic. Joel, I want to start here. The Tar Heels, uh, your fan base has just won our Fox Ultimate fan bracket. North Carolina has been crowned the number one fan base in all of college basketball. You were very active and vocal on Twitter, uh, retweeting, trying to get people to vote for this thing, to, to push North Carolina to the finish line, to the championship podium here. Um, would you like to make an acceptance speech on behalf of all the North Carolina fans everywhere?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I, I just want to thank the fans for all the support that they give us throughout the season, um, even though I'm not there. But um, even when we're not at Carolina, the, you still see fans coming out watching us play, um, you know, as we pursue our professional careers. So it just it, it's a blessing to have those um fans on our side and it's always good to have um the fan base with us, whether we're doing good or whether we're doing bad. Um, they're always sticking there with us. So we just want
1: to say thanks to all of them. And it's a family, Joel, of course. Like you said, it's a Carolina family. I love being a part of the Carolina family. We're all very uh, excited and happy. But now we have a controversy on our hands, obviously, because we have a billboard. we got to figure out where we want to put this billboard. You obviously have been in Chapel Hill. You know the rivalry in in Durham with Duke. We know what they're about. Uh, A lot of people expect the billboard to go to Durham. But obviously their state and Raleigh, State fans are obviously the loudest. We both know that. <laughs> should we put the billboard in Raleigh just to make them mad? Because I know when you were in school, they had the R-State billboard that was everywhere, which was egregious and erroneous. But, uh, you know, should we put the billboard in Raleigh? Is that what you think? That's what Theo Pinson, your old teammate, is tweeting
2: right now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where it should go. You know, everybody has a respect for the Duke and Carolina rivalry, you know, the fans and stuff. But I think uh, I think NC State, I think they just really like dipped deeply they they really do hate us so i think it would probably be better going in raleigh
0: (laughs) i I think i think it would make duke fans uh, more upset too if you just don't acknowledge them you just straight up act like they don't exist right Right, exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah speaking of which joel I'm, i'm fascinated with this as a guy who uh you know tate is a tate is a carolina grad he's he's more plugged into the rivalry and all that um I, I am not. So I, I always witnessed the Duke Carolina rivalry from afar. Uh, when when you were at Carolina, a lot was made of your relationship with Grayson Allen, that you guys were AU teammates. I think a lot of the media wanted to pretend like you guys were best friends because you're both from Florida. And then it makes for a cool story that you're now at a rival, you know, you're rivals in college and you right. both won national titles, all that kind of stuff. It was a cool story. Can you admit now that you guys actually weren't friends and you don't like the guy and he, he sucks and he's, you know, like he's, a, he's the villain of college basketball? Are you, will, will you please admit that now?
2: Uh I can't I can't admit that. I, I will say when we okay. <laughs> when we were playing, you know, it's a different story, but off the court mm-hmm. I will yeah. say his uh our families are very close and they still talk today. So I can't, I can't admit mm-hmm. to that. <laughs> Joel, Joel, can you admit at least that at some point in
1: practice, as you reflect back to your days playing with Grayson, was there, was there a moment that you accidentally maybe ran into his leg and, and now you reflect back and you know, it was a trip or is, <laughs> has there, has there been anything like that?
2: No, no, that's not, I don't do okay. that. So yeah, that's
1: not. Okay. What about? <laughs> we're just what, checking. We're just checking on you.
0: What about when Marvin Bagley's dad said you were dirtier than Grayson? That. You can't let that go by. Without, yeah.
2: I don't you know. I don't I mean, I I understand, you know, he <laughs> has to, you know, be on Grayson's side, but I don't think I would go that far. <laughs> always
0: always taking the high road. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna keep picking at this and try to get you to, to address something controversial. Are you are you are you ready, Joel, to finally apologize to Ted Valentine for uh making him retire from the game of basketball for two weeks when he said, I'm done, I've had it. I'm over because you, you had the audacity to say, Hey man, why didn't you blow the whistle when I had my arm pulled off of, out of my socket? Um, and he turned his back on you. Yeah. You're ready uh, to apologize, Joel.
2: I, I still can't forgive him for that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, i I, I came up to him in a respectful way. And I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, he just, that, that was very disrespectful. So <laughs> um, that's, it's hard to forgive him for that one. <laughs> And especially
1: that made it
0: even oh, worse. We're right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. right there with you. We, we hate Ted Valentine as much as you do. Don't worry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Got, I was going to say, Joel, is, is there any more backstory to that? Because obviously, you know, TV, Teddy, we all know his name is TV. Teddy. We all know about ACC basketball. He has a thing with Roy Williams and he obviously has a thing with Carolina point guards. And he has a, he has a thing for the camera and finding those moments. What. Well, what was the build up? I mean, you had been there at that point for four years. What, what was the lead up to that moment? I mean, did you expect him to finally lash out on you and turn around and throw a hissy fit? I mean, was, was it shocking
2: when it <laughs> happened? I
1: mean, it, it seemed really out of pocket at the time.
2: No, it, it really did shock me. Like, I, when I ran up to him, I had the ball in my hand and he just turned mm-hmm. around. Really, my first thought was to, you know, do something that would have been crazy and throw the ball at him. <laughs> I, knew, I, knew, I knew I couldn't do that because I mean, I'm, you know, I'm really not that kind of guy. But you know, when things get in the heat of the moment, you know, you just act out. But um, it was a good thing. I took a deep breath and just set the ball down and just walked away. But yeah, I, I will tell you that was my initial thought. Though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh speaking of you not being that guy, one thing that always stood out to me when I watched you over the course of your career is how just just even keel you always were. Uh and, and that led to a lot of clutch moments in your career. You hit a lot of big shots. I mean, obviously in the in the national title, you you just like would just step up and, and hit big shot after big shot for for Carolina. Uh my but but you when you entered when you came to North Carolina, like your freshman year, you weren't playing a ton. Um your role was kind of like you're trying to figure out a way to break through cause Marcus Page is the point guard, but then you finally kinda of take over point guard from him. So my question to you, Joel, is 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 your even keel attitude and this this ability to be clutch and hit big shots, was that something like that was always in you or is that something you develop over time, uh, over your four years at Carolina?
2: Yeah, that was something that I developed before I got there. Um that was something mm-hmm. my especially my dad um, always taught me was you never show emotion because you never wanted anybody to know anything was wrong. Um, and, you know, those are the things that you look for in, um, when you're playing against a person across from you because, you know, you can tell if somebody's getting frustrated and you can get them out of their game. So that was something that mm-hmm. I pretty much had before I got there. And um, and it was something that just kept developing throughout throughout Carolina. and um, And as a point guard, you have to be that way. Um, you can't be too emotional and um and uh because you you're the one that brings the team together and keeps the team calm in heated moments and when things get, you know, in the clutch moment. So um that was something that, you know, started before I got there but continued when I got to Carolina.
1: And, Joel, you guys were the class of 2014. And and for people that don't know, during that period of time, there was the the academic scandal that was going on in North Carolina. There was a, quote, unquote, cloud over the program. I remember those days. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I just remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was all all going on. But you had yourself, you had Justin Jackson, and you had Theo Pence, and you guys all coming in that 2014 class. You guys were McDonald's All-Americans. There was the picture, of course, with you guys holding the Carolina shirt over Jay Williams' head. You brought the (laughs) excitement back to the program. During this really dark period of time, of course, you guys come in, change things. 2016 happens, you come back, you get redemption, you win the title. That whole journey, uh, you know, leads to this beautiful thing. But before all that, can you just tell me one negative recruiting ploy that was used against you to try to get you not to go to North Carolina? Because I would love to hear those, uh, especially after
2: you were able to vindicate all that. Yeah, um, it was – I'll tell you, I didn't talk to a lot of schools, but um, the schools that I did talk to, they – They were just telling me, you know, am I aware of the scandal or what's going on around Carolina? (laughs) And, you know, I kind of just like I was like, yeah, I know what's going on. And I just kind of blew it, blew it out. I mean, if you really have to use that to, you know, get me to go to your school, then, you know, maybe your school isn't for me if you have to use that. So, (laughs) I just kind of I just kind of blew it off and and left it alone. But Coach Williams reassured us that you know everything you know was good and um and of course we knew that the reason why is because I mean basketball is Carolina um and you know that's Coach Williams' face is going to be on the name of it, uh on the front of everything because that's he's the biggest name on campus and um so we understood what was going on so it really didn't factor in my and my um or it really didn't bother me during my decision
0: how much did it did it factor in i've, I've always had this opinion joel that, that playing point guard at north carolina is the hardest position in all of college basketball just because of the system um because of the demands on the position uh that kind of was was proven this year by a guy like cole anthony who's super talented seemed to struggle in, in different spots because uh just the demands of the position it is that um I guess it's a two-part question one would you say I'm right in that assertion that that playing point guard at North Carolina is is one of the more difficult things to do and two how much of that went into your recruiting your decision to go there like taking on that challenge of of being the point guard of of a system like that where you if, if things go well you are the star and if things don't go well you're kind of the pariah in the program
2: yeah um I you're you're definitely right about it being the hardest position. Um and I didn't I didn't realize it and didn't understand it when I first got there and um Coach Rob, the assistant coach, was telling me, um, you know, this is this is the hardest trans uh position to transition to, uh, especially here in this program. And I end up getting a taste of that early. And um, I mean, pretty much everything goes through you. You get the ball, the ball has to mm-hmm. be brought up uh, brought up to court. Um you have to give the calls. You have to make sure everybody is in their slots. Um and Coach Williams puts a lot of um what is it? He he puts a lot on you. You he he mm-hmm. he leaves it up to you to make the calls. Um and uh if you don't, you know, he gets really mad about it. Um and so it is really the hardest position and I think you guys got a chance to see that this year even though Cole Anthony is a great, um, great player, but you know, basketball is just more than just going out there and using your athletic ability and skill to play. You have to also think the game and be what your position is. Um, mm-hmm. I think just going to Carolina by itself is a challenge. I mean, it's one of the top programs mm-hmm. in the country. Um, and you know, and you know that you're getting yourself into uh, some high caliber basketball. So, um, I think, uh, I just, I I wanted the challenge and um, when I first got there and they told me about it, I accepted the challenge and I wanted to be the best point guard that I could be for the program. And um, as you guys saw, I was able to take on that challenge and actually um, accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And, Joel,
1: uh, the Virginia Cavaliers in 2019, they were able to come back from losing to a 16 seed and get redemption, quote-unquote, and they have taken this moniker and they've ran with it. They are the redemption team everyone is talking about in college basketball, and I just wanted to ask you about this. you think it's better redemption to have you know, a shot hit over you in the case of Isaiah Hicks the year before in the national championship game and then come back the next year and win the national championship? or to lose to a 16 seed and then come and win an <laughs> extra next year. What what in your opinion is better redemption?
2: Um man, I don't know cuz I would be I would be upset if I lost to a 16 seed. But <laughs> I think both of them have, both of them has their redemptions. I mean, being the first person okay, to lose to a 16 seed, I mean, that's a pretty good redemption story. Um <laughs> but I think we had a pretty good one too just because you know that shot that Chris hit would be, um, that shot would be played whenever we get around March. That shot would be played for the rest of our mm-hmm. lives. And how many times that,
0: have you seen that, Joel?
2: I see it way too much.
0: <laughs> you do. You have. You have watched it. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. I, I didn't know if it was something you just try to block out of your mind altogether if you get it shoved down your throat.
2: I know it took. It took me a while to be able to watch the full game and actually watch the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I mean, I see it all the time, every time. I mean, even when it's not watched,
0: Um Can I defend you for a second? And you can just nod along So if you yeah. don't want to cause controversy here. Because I I've, I've, I watched it in preparation for having you on today. Uh, I watched the clip one last time. Uh, what 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 got Chris so open was Ochefu sets an illegal screen on you at half court. He's stationary, and then right as you're going to get around him, he sticks his foot out, kind of trips you. Uh, and your, your guard, Archidiakono, is bringing the ball up you kind of stumble because of chef who trips you. And then I think Isaiah overhelps. He, he was guarding Jenkins and that's what get Jenkins wide open. So uh, on your behalf, and you can, you can join in if you want, if you want, Joel, but uh, I, I want to say that this was an illegal screen. It was, it should have been called. Um, and, and, you know, we should go back and, and write that wrong in history. And yeah. None of this should have happened. That's back
2: to back,
1: back on. to back chance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. But actually when I look back on it, I didn't even, I didn't know um, Ochefu was setting the screen. I didn't. I thought mm-hmm. I just tripped on my own foot because once I turned. Well, that doesn't
0: help our case. That doesn't <laughs> help our case at all.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, we'll take that out. We'll take that out. I Don't mean, worry. I
2: wish they would have called it. Now that I look back at it, because he did, he did kind of. Once I turned around, it was the reason why I stumbled. But in the moment, I thought I tripped over my foot, and it was actually his foot that I tripped over. So, you guys. Yeah. I'm I'm on your side. I wish they would have called it.
1: All right. All right. <laughs> well, well, we appreciate that. And, and we have to mention, Joel, we had a, a couple of weeks back, we had Mikel Bridges on, and we were asking him about this. But Chris Jenkins is obviously, you know, brother of Nate Britt, who was on the North Carolina Tar Heels, the championship team. And that whole summer, Chris is with Nate. He's in Chapel Hill. And you guys are all there. You guys are preparing, you know, for for the the 2017 run, the 2016 2017 run. But you have the guy that hit the shot in practice with you every day. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, I mean, did, did that mess with your head a little bit? Because I know Isaiah. Obviously, he hit the shot over Isaiah, and Isaiah took the blame for it. And then he had to see him every day that
2: summer. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it bothered us a little bit. Um, but the the <laughs> thing is, Nate actually, Nate actually. Um, sent us a, a text message in um before time and asked if it, if it was okay for uh for chris to come play pickup with us because we knew they were brothers but he sent a message uh ahead of time so we were we were okay with it and it gave us a little motivation to work a little bit harder when when he was on the court so <laughs> <laughs> what about uh
0: why, why were we living crazy stuff that happened um I remember the, the Malik monk game I, uh, the first one when you guys played in Vegas oh man um what what is it like mm-hmm. where you you were playing out of your mind I remember you were you had an unbelievable game uh Justin Jackson had an unbelievable game but then Malik Monk was just like on another planet uh what is that like to you know like you're playing so well and yet there's this guy that just like won't miss anything um do you respect it as it's happening are you like I mean I gotta tip my cap are you like this is unbelievable uh what what is it like being on the other end of that when you're playing out of your mind and it's still not enough I mean the only
2: thing at that point I mean the way he was hitting shots and at the rate he was hitting them I mean the only thing you really could do was just try to contain them and then make up for it by scoring on the other end I mean we got to a mm-hmm. point where we felt like we really couldn't stop him. I mean, he was just hitting, mm-hmm. like I saw uh, they had a shot um, come on the other day where, uh, well, actually it was a game-winning shot he hit. He, like, caught it mm-hmm. in transition, pumped fake, did a side step, <laughs> and and just knocked it in. And it was like, I mean, you really couldn't do nothing. And uh, we, we blame it on Kenny a little bit. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> we always joke around with Kenny, but, um, but no, it, 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 I mean, at that point, um, the biggest, the only thing that you really could do was try to offset it by going and, and scoring on the other end, so.
0: That's where Kenny Kenny chimes back and he's like, "Well, he would have had. I, I held him to forty seven. He would have had sixty <laughs> if I wasn't guarding him."
1: Yeah. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And Joe, you're in Greensboro right now with the Greensboro Swarm. For people that don't know, and and you got a guy there, Malik Monk, who's obviously on the Hornets. You got Dwayne Bacon, who was at Florida State. There's a bunch of guys down there that are that have ACC ties that are with the Swarm or with the Hornets, and they're bouncing back and forth what's it like having all those guys around? Does it make it, you get Devontae Graham, does it make it more of a collegiate atmosphere that, you know, in North Carolina, obviously?
2: Yeah, so I, I actually didn't get a chance to play with Devontae, um, but I did get a chance mm-hmm. to play with Dwayne Bacon this year. Um, and I will tell you, he he's very gifted. Um, and I mean, as a pure scorer. And, um, and it was good having him on our team. And unfortunately, by the time that um cuz he came you know closer to the end of the season um and we were just getting into the groove into our groove and we weren't having a good season at all um but we were getting into a groove with him on the um with our, with him on our team and um it was just fun being being alongside him and playing alongside him so um it's definitely great to you know you know to have the guys up on the Hornets and um to have some of those guys that come down and play with us as well
0: uh, Joel, we'll we'll let you get out of here in a second. We appreciate you uh, uh, giving giving some time to us today. Um, but before we let you go, I I've, I've been meaning to ask this. I, I promised myself if I ever got a chance to talk to you, I'd ask you this because I I have a feeling what the answer is going to be. Um, <laughs> did you purposely grow your hair out over the course of your North Carolina career to make you look faster? <laughs> uh, because it worked, and I I swear that this is what happened. I swear this is was the thought behind it. Because uh, by the time you were a senior, you had that long hair bouncing every time you'd, like, sprint up the court. <laughs> and I swear it made you look, like, 20% faster than you were. Can you confirm or deny this, Joel? Uh,
2: actually, I wasn't thinking of it. wasn't to make me faster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, though, because everybody, like, my family back home, my friends, all they talk about every time they uh, talk to me is about how my hair is just bouncing up and down the court. Uh, <laughs> so that is funny. But it was just part of it was just part of um, – I don't know. I just I just liked it better with it being long. I kind of yeah. – it kind of didn't look good um, uh, my freshman year, so I thought I'd just grow it out to, to try something different. But it did it, – It's it. kind
0: of become – it's become your look, man. I, I, you go back and look at you on like the McDonald's All-American game or something, it doesn't even look like you, to be honest.
2: I know. It's crazy. It doesn't look like me at all. Um, but, yeah, so – It's weird. Uh, But, yeah, that was just a little style that I was uh, – um, trying out, and it worked for me. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, it worked. You're a champion, Joel, and we appreciate you coming on, and we appreciate you representing North Carolina so well, and uh, we wish you well in the G League, and we hope all those young guys come in the G League, you just start, like, picking them up full court and just taking their money, just start taking their cash. <laughs> <looking> <laughs> something.
2: Right, right, yeah. Um, I mean, I've been plagued by entry my first uh, first year, and then this mm-hmm. year I finally got back healthy, so um, it's just a matter of time before I reinvent myself and people to see the see the guy who 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 came from carolina so
1: we love it well good
0: yeah we're we're, we'll be rooting for you man just like we always have been you're you're a ton of fun to watch and and continued success to you man appreciate you joining us
2: oh yeah appreciate you guys and y'all y'all have a good one and stay safe
0: all right take care man all right thanks joe all right, quick break to talk about our good friends at Coors Light. Tate, there is only one beer out there that's literally mm. made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Tate, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to the news. There's a lot going on. It's a it's a, it's a, a crazy time in this country. Um, but it's also a time where you can just sit on the couch and throw back a few cold ones uh and 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 play some video games listen to some podcasts watch some TV do all of those things and and the best beer to do it with Tate is Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with the three-step cold process, cold lager, cold filtered and cold packaged so it's actually made to chill. Born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978, Coors Light is refreshing. It is crisp and I cannot stress this enough because this is my favorite part about Coors Light. It is 102 calories. Mm. For skinny guys like me who have gone full Hollywood, who mm. are, are slowly wasting away, who are watching their fitness state, mm. 102 mm. calories in your beer is fantastic. Uh, that's why Coors Light is the one I choose when I need a moment of chill. So when you want to reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. You can even have Coors Light delivered directly to your door by going to get.coorslight.com and finding local delivery options near you. That's right. Have it delivered directly to your door. Coors Light delivered directly to your door. Get.coorslight Dot com Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, thank you to Joel Berry for joining us, uh, Tate. I had this one note I wanted to throw it at Joel, but I, I felt like Joel wasn't the audience. I, I felt like Joel would not have cared whatsoever. But I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. Uh, Joel Berry graduated from Lake Highland Prep in Apopka, Florida. I believe is how you pronounce mm-hmm. it. Um, if you go to that that school's Wikipedia page and you go to the notable alumni of the school. He is listed atop, and it's not because it's alphabetical. it's Because he's the
2: he's most the important. best. Yes,
1: yeah, he's, he's exactly. considered
0: the best. Mm-hmm. Other alumni include John Green, the guy who w- writes these uh, these these novels for the the Fault in Our Stars guy, who mm-hmm. writes these mm-hmm. like
1: uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Nicholas Sparks. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: He's like the Nicholas Sparks of this era. Uh, Kerry Strug, Olympic hero, American Olympic hero, Kerry Strug. Mm. And then bigger than all of them, but not bigger than Joel Berry, is Scott Stapp, lead singer of Creed.
1: Wow, they that all went is... to this
0: high school, and Joel Berry still has top billing over all of them. So I want well, that, ex- that, be...
1: <laughs> that explains the accent a little bit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the Creed thing. You're like, okay, all right. I uh,
0: yeah, it felt like something I would say to Joel, and he would just be like, "Huh? What,
1: what? Yeah." He's like, "What's Creed?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the last dance from uh, last night episodes three and four. First of all, that's confusing in and of itself that we mm-hmm. call it like every every night. It's two episodes. So I would, I want to say like night two. Episode two, but it's actually three and four, whatever. We, we all know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this episode, my initial thoughts are this. Uh, we're, we're starting to get into the nitty-gritty, the, the, the stuff we were promised, the behind-the-scenes stuff, because um, most people, that, or certainly the people that pay attention to basketball, kind of already know the, the major beats of the 98 Bulls. They, and, and, and the first night of this documentary, uh, most people watching this probably already knew who Michael Jordan was. They probably already knew he was super famous. They probably already knew that Scottie Pippen was his sidekick. Like We already kind of knew all those things, and they were setting the stage. The reason we were tuning in is because those of us who did know about all this knew about the debauchery, like the, the gambling on the planes. We knew about Dennis Rodman's antics. We knew about uh, Phil Jackson's past, um, all that kind of stuff. And that was what this documentary kind of promised us, was like all this behind-the-scenes stuff uh the i felt like the first night didn't really do that it was just sort of setting the stage and maybe they gave us like little tip like the one time where they said like they they said something about uh uh, scotty like cursing out jerry Krause on the bus and they show the bus and you're like oh boy here it comes we're gonna see the footage and then they didn't show the footage i was like what the hell's going on here uh we got some of that footage in this in this episode and Mm -hmm. it's got me excited because you have michael jordan uh, poor Scott Burrell being called an alcoholic there at the end of episode four, and he's like, "Please, Mike, don't, <laughs> please, Mike, don't do this. My parents are going to watch this." Mm-hmm. And here he is, twenty-three years later, twenty-two years later, whatever it is. He thought he thought he'd gotten away with it, and uh, it, it, it has now resurfaced. We got some of that. We got some gambling. We got stories of Phil on acid. We got uh, uh, the Dennis Rodman bender. Um, this was the episode. Like, like if this is the direction this documentary series is going, I, I'm very, very excited. That's my initial
1: thought. Mom and dad, your son is an alcoholic. Yes, Michael Jordan said it, and it is confirmed it's on tape. And that is obviously the worst thing that could have come out of this. Uh, as, as Mr. Tom, uh, Mr. Thompson is filming that, uh, Scott Burrow, like you said, is sitting there and thinking, I hope that this never sees the light of day. <laughs> Michael Jordan <laughs> at one point did not want any of this to see the light of day. And you get an idea of that because, you know, we open up this doc and we get the Dennis Rodman story. And, you know, Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan, obviously, you know, they're cut from a different cloth. They're from different uh, walks of life. They have different – Uh, expectations about certain things in life and they have different requirements on how they want to live their basketball lives to say the least Mm -hmm. and you know when rodman wants to come to mj's room this is this time you know mj and rodman were batman and robin uh robin at that point and they Mm -hmm. were the the two guys because Scotty's obviously sitting out that's where we're setting the stage for all this stuff mj is terrified to go in a room and smoke a cigar with robin he doesn't want to have that conversation. And that gets back to, like you said, the Phil Jackson being on acid. And that comes back to why I love Phil Jackson and who he is as a coach. Because you and I talk about this all the time. We love uh, the narrative of basketball. We love the game of basketball. We also love the stories around basketball. And we love the mythology around basketball. And the mythology around basketball can get lost when you have a lot of uh, cookie-cutter situations. You know, A lot of pyramid of success. No offense to John Wooden, but it is a... We see it. We boring.
0: get it. It's a little, it's
1: a little on the nose. You know what I mean? A little bit on the nose. And you know, Tex Winter, uh, he obviously loves that. And we, we see had the beauty of the triangle, yeah. and that's obviously more cookie cutter and down to the actual science of what basketball is and the game itself. But from Phil Jackson's vantage point and from my vantage point, in watching this, I always love the the personalities that he's always been able to put together, and you understand why he's able to do that because yeah, as we see, he wrote a book about tripping acid. He talks about being able to disassociate himself, to remove himself from whoever Phil Jackson is, which is a two-time NBA champion with the New York Knicks, a guy that you know had the hook shot going in North Dakota back in the day, a guy that obviously loves basketball, a guy that luckily was not shot in Puerto Rico when he was coaching. Mm-hmm. But it also also leads to the fact that like that coach, is, the, the mythology around Michael Jordan obviously is getting discussed this whole documentary, but the, the Phil Jackson little the little cutaway that we get in this documentary, whether it be Dennis Rodman or Phil Jackson, you sort of see uh, the, the characters that are here. And yeah, we know who they are and they are familiar, but it still is great to get a little bit more inside Phil Jackson, and Dennis Rodman's relationship and it relating to native Americans. And, and yeah, definitely peyote
0: well, it, it It shows why Phil was the perfect coach for this team because, yes. uh, he he was basically he, they, they even they even alluded to this showing clips of Phil's playing career where he was like the the maniacal rebounder kind of of his day and um, so he he bonded with Rodman over that he was just like a mellowed out version of Rodman Rod they were on opposite ends of the spectrum but they kind of had like the similar. Uh, uh, thought in that they were like counterculture type people, you know, mm-hmm. it's just Phil went the mellow route, Robin went the, I'm going to dye my hair and pierce every orifice I have and, and go to Vegas on vendors in the middle of the season. But they, they, they had the common bond of like, man, isn't society stupid? And it's like, <laughs> they talked about that. Uh, but, but beyond that, like it, it, it illustrates the need for, for a guy like Phil to, to have to manage all these egos. And I know that's kind of a, a, a cliche, a trope that you use for professional coaches is, that they don't actually coach. They just manage egos and all that. But um, I mean, I mean, I think it was important to have the backstory on Phil because uh, that that became a, a sticking point. I mean, they showed Jordan talking about it. Like if Phil's gone, I'm gone. It's that simple. And and I think uh, we, the audience, need to understand why Jordan felt that way. You need to understand um, it wasn't just that they were winning. It wasn't just that, you know, Michael was like, I, I didn't win anything until Phil came into my life. It was more of like, this man understands the chemistry of of this team and the 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 delicate balance of having a guy like Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan, who, as you said, it feels like their approaches to life could not be any more different, and yet they found a way to come together. And the common thread between them all was Phil Jackson. So, uh, getting the backstory on him was awesome. I I, re- I really really did enjoy that.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that situation with Jordan, Titus. I mean, yeah. I think the thing that I uh, – these are my, like, stories inside stories, things that I, I find interesting about this time period. Michael Jordan, you know, with the Bulls, he's, you know, bigger than the Bulls. He's making all this money. He's mad that they're taking hit all of his money. For people that don't know the Space Jam deal that Michael Jordan signed, he basically went to Warner Brothers. They're like, you can have syndication, and we pay you $10 million over, you know, five years or whatever it was, or you can just take $10 million up front, and you have no syndication rights. He's like, boom. 10 million up front. So he has no syndication on Space Jam. That's why you see someone LeBron James being Space Jam, right? So all that sort of stuff. He he feels like he's getting shorted on some of these deals mm-hmm. over time, even though of course he's Michael Jordan. He's making all this money. All this stuff is going on. And Phil Jackson is now being taken away from him. They're in Paris, and the Bulls are trying to get Michael back on board. And one of my favorite leak stories that it came out like in North Carolina, Underground, you know, couldn't come out because it's basically like church information, secrets of the church. Dean Smith was going to go coach the Chicago Bulls. That was, that, that was the that was the Dean wow. Smith that retired from North Carolina, but Dean Smith had still had an itch for coaching. You know, we've heard Roy Williams say that over the years. He doesn't want to leave too soon. Dean felt he maybe left too soon, even though he wanted Guthrie's to win a title. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, Jordan's like, fills out. The Bulls are like, we got to keep Michael. He's our moneymaker. We got to keep Michael happy. Maybe we bring Dean Smith here. Of course, none of that stuff gets leaked until later, which is why I always make the joke when you're talking about Coach K leaking, he may go to the Lakers or he may go to yeah. the... Like, Dean Smith would never leak that information, but, you know, obviously, they do reach out and these things. So that was, like, one of my favorite little, like, under-the-radar stories of this timeline of this whole series. It was just the idea that, you know, sheepish Dean Smith is, like, sitting in Chapel Hill I being like, <laughs> well, maybe I could come up to Chicago and coach Michael, you know? Yeah, And, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and manage Chicago, Dennis Rodman yeah. and Carmen right here, <laughs>
0: The idea of Dean Smith having to sit down with Dennis Rodman after <laughs> yeah. Rodman's on a 48-hour bender in Vegas. Now, uh, Mr. Rodman,
1: it says here that uh, you were out until 6 a.m. Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, the Rodman-Vegas thing, uh, I, I said it in the, the, the video I did for Fox, the, mm-hmm. the instant reaction thing. Yeah. Um, how do they have footage of this, Tate? How mm-hmm. do – I don't know what's crazier. Either the, the footage of Rodman taking shots and partying his face off is from that Vegas trip, mm-hmm. that that <laughs> mid-season bender that he went on or it's just stock footage of Dennis Rodman partying and 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 he parties so much that there are cameras around that they like have enough footage that they're like yeah just run the stock footage of Rodman partying i don't know what's crazier i don't know which scenario is crazier <laughs> that like a a full documentary crew is like yeah let's go to Vegas and and follow Dennis Rodman along this bender or that they just are like nah we don't need to follow him we have enough footage just run the run the b-roll of Rodman taking shots. and
1: (laughs) I'm going to say this. We all think or everyone seems to think that Adam Silver is a really smart guy, right? So if Adam Silver is a really smart guy, when he heard the news that Phil Jackson has decided to give Dennis Rodman 48 hours to himself in Las Vegas Mm – NBA Entertainment, that should have been like the bat signal. It's like, all right, NBA Entertainment, we're going to Las Vegas. We're bringing a crew. We're filming everything. And uh, you can't put a saddle on a Mustang. I think that was my favorite. Uh, quote. You can't put
0: a saddle on a Mustang, baby. That,
1: that's Dennis Robin. You can't put a saddle on a Mustang. Phil knew that. Uh, Jordan knew that. And, and the fact, let me just like, we talk about uh, the current team structures, all sorts of stuff. The fact that Michael Jordan flew himself to Las Vegas and said, hey, Dennis, Get Carmen Electra out of here. Get on the plane. We got to go mm-hmm. practice. That's leadership. That's my Dude, kind of leader. That's kind. Of my, that's my kind of basketball. This boy. is
0: when that. when older people talk about the good old days and how bad. And we'll get into the discussions about the the bad boys and and the physicality of yeah, yeah. the game and and it was a different game and all that. But uh, when when older people talk about like how the game's just not the same, it's just not the same. It's you, you, you guys don't all you youngins don't get it. You yeah. have to go back to the good, old, um,
1: the old Big East. Yeah. That's yeah the
0: whole the old Big East. Of, that, that sentiment prevails throughout human history. is like the, the, the one generation always says it was so much better when we were coming up than it is for you guys, whatever. Uh, but there is something about, like, Dennis Rodman's existence that, that proves this point. That the 90s were so, – every guy that thinks they're, like, odd, and oddball, or, or like Draymond Green, for example. Draymond Green's attitude towards basketball, he's trying to be Dennis Rodman. Uh, Russell Westbrook's fashion, he's trying to be Dennis Rodman. All these guys are trying to, like, tap into Dennis Rod. They're just – and all the guys who aren't, like, the, the quote-unquote weirdos or the trying to be, like, counterculture guys, all the guys that are trying to be, like, the straight-laced guy, they're trying to be MJ. Kobe was trying to be MJ. LeBron was trying – like, the 98 Bulls were the team. Every single person that – like, you could say Kawhi Leonard's trying to be, like, Scottie Pippen. Like, every – there's the model for all of these guys, and they're all – it's like every – if if you play professional basketball right now, you have to look at the 98 roster. You just scroll through and you find a guy that you kind of fit the mold of. And you're like, all right, I'll try to be that guy. And that's what basketball has become. Uh, so there is something to that, Tate, that you can't you can't replicate Dennis Rodman going on a 48-hour bend or Michael Jordan taking a – like there's no story that could come out right now that's anywhere close to like that interesting and, and I don't know, explosive and like, holy shit, what happened? Carmen Electra is in the bed and Jordan bangs on the door and like – and this is in the middle of the season when they won two titles in a row and they're trying to go for the third. And this is the last season they'll ever play together. What? I don't know. It's, it's amazing. It, it, you, you, cannot, you cannot even fathom that happening in, the, in this day and age.
1: I think you could maybe fathom it as being the peak of interesting. Like if there was a story where it's, you know, insert, you know, TMZ mm-hmm. situation, James Harden took a bender to Vegas and he's with Khloe Kardashian. It's like, oh my gosh. Uh, that's the ceiling but this is like right. they told this one story very nonchalantly and, right. they and they didn't even really tell the story you know what i mean like that but my favorite thing about this documentary and my only note of critique is and i and i understand it because it's hard to really say deliberately what was going on verbatim in those hours that were spent those 48 hours we can dennis robin probably doesn't even know but you can imagine you know what i mean i think like the fact that we just get like the the like the little minuscule moment with him, like with Michael Jordan coming to get him. That's, that's all you need to extrapolate what that experience was like. And we're like, yeah, fill in the, yeah. <laughs> for some reason, I feel like tigers were involved. I don't know. Like they were definitely there in Vegas. Uh, it just, it, it, it's, it's one of those things with Dennis Rodman. That's insane. But the, the, the thing that we were texted about uh, last night, which I think is my, my most fascinating thing in the world of basketball between you and I, and probably in my opinion, all basketball, it's Indiana versus North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, Indiana basketball uh, versus North Carolina basketball. I think New York basketball is included in that triangle of basketball, but I just don't want to hear them. They're too loud. So I keep it North Carolina, Indiana. And then, you know, in New York, it's happening up there. I see what's going on. But in this sense, I think that Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan are the perfect uh, they are the avatars for these two philosophies in life, and the reason that they work so perfectly together, and the reason we see Isaiah Thomas coming out to the world and talking about how shocked he was that this is the reason he wasn't on the dream team. He's just now figuring this out. But I just want to dive in with you, Titus, because yeah, you represent yeah. Indiana. I'm North Carolina. We got Isaiah versus Michael. These are this is what are your these are both of our heroes, really. For right. Yes.
0: Uh, So Isaiah is the master of playing coy. He's got the big smile, the million dollar smile. Uh, Mm. It it might actually cost him a million dollars, like those fake Mm. teeth that are pearly white. Um, (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic smile. But he's got, he's got the big smile and the attitude of just like, that's just all shucks. And and he's, he's smaller, you know, like being under six foot, like kind of plays into that um, a little bit too, where he's not this big menacing guy. Uh, Isaiah is, an asshole, just the same way Jordan is an asshole, just the same way all the guys of this era were assholes. Um, And it's fascinating because Isaiah knows exactly what he's doing, but Jordan also knows exactly what Isaiah is doing. And the, the fact that 30 years after the fact, Jordan still hates Isaiah this much. And the fact that Isaiah is still like, like Isaiah won't just come out and be like, of course, I hate Jordan just as much as he hates me. But deep down, you know that Isaiah hates Jordan just as much as Jordan hates him. But Isaiah's Isaiah's like stuck to this path of like, I'm just gonna smile. I'm just gonna shake my head and be like, that's just the way it was back then. If I would have known now, like if I would have <laughs> known that he was upset, he just had to talk to me. Like mm-hmm. we could have just talked it out. Mm-hmm. Uh Isaiah knows what he's doing. Jordan knows that Isaiah knows what he's doing. Um, but I don't think it's a problem, Tate. Like this is this is this is what I find fascinating about it. It's like Isaiah has become a villain. And and I love that the, the the people that were Detroit people uh on Twitter last night sticking up for their guy, not just Isaiah, but just the bad boys Pistons. Cause the bad boys Pistons are, are perceived to be villains. They're, they're playing dirty and, and they have the reputation they have and whatever. But, um, they, they were true to themselves. This is, this is who they were. This is, uh, you can't have the story of like Michael Jordan overcoming the bad boys Pistons. If, isaiah thomas is shaking his head and congratulating. if isaiah thomas suddenly turns into magic johnson and in the post-game press conference is like you know if we had to lose to somebody i'm really glad it was mike because i love mike <laughs> like that, that that's not consistent with the story we have and this idea that like isaiah and the bad boys pistons were all dickheads and jordan was not jordan is like the hero and the the chosen one and the like jordan jordan i think that's what's so frustrating for people from detroit what's so frustrating um if if you're if you're if you're telling me to be put in a position to, die, to defend Isaiah Thomas, uh, where he was going on this thing of like, listen, this is what the Celtics did to us. We did it back to the Bulls. That's the way things were back then. I think the reason he's so frustrated is because he he doesn't he's not necessarily trying to defend his own actions. He's like, Yeah, of course I was being a dick about it. Like we're all dick, but his his frustration is like, I don't understand why everyone thinks Jordan is not a dick. Like Jordan is a world class dick. Like this is what people know about if you know behind the scenes of Jordan. Like we're talking about a guy who he he 30 years later he's still like rolling his eyes at Scotty Pippen's migraine when Scotty's like I couldn't see anything, I was blind. My head was going to explode and Jordan's like I don't know, man, if that's what Scotty says. And he's still like dismissing that. This is a man who calls Scotty Pippen selfish because Scotty Pippen doesn't like that he's making 2 million dollars a year. And Michael Jordan's making $33 million a year. And he's like, I don't get it. Scotty's being selfish. I don't understand why he doesn't just come to. Um, This was Jordan's whole attitude. And I don't think Jordan needs to apologize for, for having that attitude. But I also don't think Isaiah should have to apologize either. I think this was the era it was in. You can't have one without the other. You can't look back on the 80s and be like, yeah, it was real rivalries. They actually hated each other. Yada, yada, yada. But then on the flip side, I'd be like, but man, Isaiah Thomas was kind of a dick that one time he wouldn't shake Jordan's hand. And when he froze Jordan out at the All-Star Game and all these other things. Of course, that's what it was. That's what you, you, you want that from your NBA stars of the 80s. Isaiah gave it to you. And for some reason, people are like, I don't like that guy, Isaiah, because he's, he's mean to my superstar hero, Michael Jordan. Defender Boy.
1: I'll say this. For both those guys, you said it right. They both think they're right, and I think they both are right, but they're both right, and it leads to wrong reactions to why they're right. And the reason I'll say this, right, so Isaiah, he ends his career at Indiana. He's a Bob Knight, small point guard, wearing number 11, overachieves, is like the little guy, but he is playing in a big man's world. Everyone wants Mm -hmm. to have the Ralph Sampson's of the world. Everyone wants to find their next Patrick Ewing. We all know that, Akeem Olajuwon, yada, yada, yada. That is a world we in, in 1981. He leaves college basketball. They gut Dean Smith and Carolina basketball in 1981. Dean Smith is never going to be a national champion. That is where Isaiah Thomas, his purview of basketball, leaves college basketball. Done. Mm-hmm. Gutted. The next year, a freshman by the name of Mike Jordan comes in with the same cast of guys that just lost that Indiana team, basically, with James Worthy and Sam Perkins. They go on. They win the title. They beat a young Patrick Ewing. Michael Jordan is anointed Carolina basketball. Dean Smith no longer gutted. Dean Smith is now... Check. Validated. Mm-hmm. Two years later, Michael Jordan plays for Isaiah's coach in the 1984 Olympics. The amateurs play the professionals. Michael Jordan is by far probably the best player on the floor. You could argue. At least he was playing the hardest and was playing out of his mind. Isaiah Thomas spots that. This doesn't check in his that- mind because that coach of his, he's not validated. I've never, I never, I, beat them. They're no mm-hmm. good. They're nothing. And now my coach, who I know, Bob Knight, who knows I'm the best, is now saying, that guy's the best? The
0: best ever, yeah. The
1: best ever. Yeah, Wait yeah, a second. Saying... Why is he saying that? Mm-hmm. Oh, because he fits all these check marks of, now I'm back to being the little guy. Now I'm upset about this. All right, so the NBA wants Magic and Bird, and then they want this guy. Okay, they want that guy, Michael. I'm going to show them that they're not going to get Michael. I'm going to freeze him out of the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. Michael's whole thing is, Nobody wants me. I'm the underdog. I'm the third pick. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm the guy that didn't make you know my team. You know my varsity team is a sophomore. I'm the guy that wasn't supposed to be mm-hmm. the fifth starter or on North Carolina. So it's two guys with small guy mentalities about being the little guy and trying to overcome that and doing that by building chips on their shoulder. And they're both building the chips simultaneously. And the chips are so similar that they can't really figure it out. And then the 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 fact that you have Michael. Not from Chicago, be the face of Chicago in mm-hmm. Isaiah's hometown, mm-hmm. and have that whole backdrop to the animosity. And then to have a team that is basically a bunch of hackers and skilled players like Dumars and Isaiah, and they and those guys are so similar to Jordan in the way that they play basketball, the way they understand the game of basketball. Joe Dumars and Michael Jordan are best friends. You know, what yeah. I mean, to this day, they're very close right. to each other. So it's like all of the—they're so similar that they, they're that they're so far apart. And I think that's what, to me, it's like the beauty of the whole back and forth between them because they probably agree on so many things foundationally, but there is just a. a a semblance of uh, of opinion that is different because Michael wanted to be the sportsman. He wanted yeah. to show sportsmanship. He wanted to say they were the better team today. They win. He wanted to check those boxes because that was the old North Carolina thing I would do. And Isaiah wanted to, like you said, put him through the ringer of this is where the NBA is. Welcome to the big leagues, buddy. You know, well, it's, you beat us, see you later.
0: It's two different upbringings, too. I mean, you're talking about Isaiah growing up on the streets of Chicago, dysfunction exactly. in his life. City um, versus country. Yeah. And yeah. and Michael Jordan had, you know, like the, the manners beaten into him by his father and and, mm-hmm. and his brothers and, and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, to where he's uh, you know, taught to shake hands and the, all the sportsmanship. And and Isaiah was taught to to scratch and claw for everything you get. And I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I feel like they're the exact same type of person, and that's why they don't get along. Is yes. because they see, yeah. They, they it's, are so it's, similar.
1: It's, it's too much of a threat. It's like yeah. that guy. They they are so equal that they. It's like they, they have well, to go opposite. I they think Isaiah's
0: Isaiah's point of view is probably like. There's probably a few things too that go into it of like the the bad boys Pistons have been reduced their identity nationally certainly not to the people of Detroit who mm-hmm. like worship them for the for the legends they are. Yeah. But nationally, it feels like the the identity of the Bad Boys Pistons is a bunch of scrubs who couldn't play, so mm-hmm. they just had to hack everybody to win their two titles and like they had no skill whatsoever and I think Isaiah I you know I I might be putting words in his mouth but like if I was Isaiah I would be very upset about that because Isaiah Mm -hmm. Thomas is the toughest pound for pound basketball player I think that's ever played basketball ever you're talking about his size and 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 um and and his skill and just like how Isaiah Thomas is an absolute legend of basketball say what you want about the man about Whatever his coaching abilities is running the front off I don't care I know he's not like necessarily the most popular guy to, to NBA fans, but the man was unbelievable basketball player he 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 never cheated the game. we love that phrase as, as two guys that love basketball is like mm-hmm. you know people that, that love the game always talk about not cheating the game. Isaiah Thomas never cheated the game. he never took plays off. he had chips on his shoulder, he was tough as shit he he um you know had his bum ankle and he's playing through it and winning titles and and then he looks back on his legacy and he says, I beat Michael Jordan more often than not in the playoffs. He beat me that one time sure. They swept us. That's how it ended. But like we we beat his ass more than he beat ours. <laughs> mm-hmm. We I won two titles. Like I mm-hmm. I was everything that everyone thinks Michael Jordan is, which is this guy with the chip on his shoulder. I have the million dollar smile. Why why am I not getting the the Nike Con? Like I could do commercials and take a sip of Coke and smile at the camera and be the face of NBA. Why is this guy the chosen one? Why is it magic and Larry? They hand the baton to Michael. Um, when here I am, like I'm winning titles. I am under six feet tall. I I'm electrifying crowds and yet no one appreciates me. That seems to be his attitude. And, uh, I don't blame him, but as you said, I don't, I also don't blame Michael Jordan either because you know, that, that it would hard not, it would be hard not to take that as a slight if you you beat the hell out of a team and they just, before the game's even over, they walk off. I would be super pissed off if that happened to me too. So and yeah. the
1: reality, the reality of the situation is that they probably don't reach the level that they reach without each other, you know, at some, mm. at, at some sort of integral level, because like you said, Isaiah 1984, he's already in the NBA, he's already becoming a star in the NBA. And he hears his old college coach say that about Michael best player ever. He watches him in LA at the Olympics. Everyone is attuned to what's going on. Then we have the whole all-star fiasco with with Isaiah and MJ. And then Isaiah takes this next step and they win the championships. And then if you, if you ask anyone on that Bulls team, the reason that they won the title in 1991 is because they lost in 1990 and they were sure that they were going to win. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. I mean, I know there's the Scotty migraine and all these other excuses that get thrown out. But if you ask anyone on that team, and, you know, B.J. Armstrong has told me a million times, the reason that it was quiet and silent in the locker room is because they sincerely believed that they were going to win and when they didn't it, it, it's it's the first time they said for Michael or anyone else in that room that they knew that they were going to get something. They didn't get it. And you, yeah, that's a powerful thing. And for Isaiah, he knew that he was the best basketball player, but he wasn't getting that adoration from everybody. Right. So the way to get that was to, I'll, you want me to, you want me to be the villain? I'll be yeah. just, the same thing LeBron did when he went to Miami. Right. You want to give me the adoration. Oh, I'll be the villain. I'll just be and, the villain. And,
0: yeah. And, and, and then You guys. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, that,
1: and that's, that's mentally a uh, gymnastics that happens with a lot of people. in those situations. And
0: it's, it's, yeah. And I think Isaiah, like there's, there's probably some small part of, of, that's trying to like win people back over you know like after because dude i would be i would be so shooty if i was isaiah too and my whole basketball playing identity has basically been boiled down to a foil for michael jordan that's how like people remember isaiah thomas is like he was better than michael jordan for like his team it's not even him it's like his team this this concept of of roughhouse basketball was was basically just the final boss for michael jordan and then michael jordan finally beat them and that's, that's the only reason anyone cares about this team. That's the only reason. And if I might say, I'm like, Whoa, 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 I won a national title in college. I come to Detroit. I am. Yeah. I'm a hall of famer in my own right. Like I, I would be a legend whether Michael Jordan, if Michael Jordan blows out his ACL his rookie year and you know, like is never the same again, like I'm still, you know, like nothing really changes. I'm still winning my two titles. Like I'm still like, people should still remember me. Um, I don't know, so I I I get it. it. It is just fascinating though, and it's something that um, I, I what makes it so fascinating is that I really just don't think you can come close to replicating this. And and I know there are players in the NBA that hit each other now, um, but it's not like this. It's not going to be like this. It's not you know, and whether that's good or not, I mean, some people are like, you know, do we need that in the game? Do we need guys clothes lining each other as they drive to the basket? Probably not. But like, yeah, it is cool that like there used to be a time where you would lose in the playoffs and you would go home and you would spend all summer and you'd be like, God damn it. Oh, we got to beat those ass. Oh. Mm, and you'd mm. stew on it and it would just, and then you go play them again and they'd beat you again and you'd be like, God damn it. And you'd like, really, you know? um, And now it's like, I mean, maybe, you know, like you can roll your eyes and say, it's like, Oh, it's, it's old people being old people. But I, I mean, it truly is a different era and like guys don't do that now they lose and they're like, they they talk to each other like the, you want to you want to see sportsmanship they they like overdo it you got lebron covering his mouth and saying like where are you going on vacation this year mm-hmm. or oh okay yeah i'll mm-hmm. see you there all right cool man yeah, hit, <laughs> yeah good luck the, good luck the rest of the way all right i'll see you man like i for people that live through the 80s and 90s they're like yeah. dude this is bullshit now why having to watch this because i remember the good old days where, where these guys just flat out hated each other and that made it so much more compelling
1: Yeah, it's a, it's like a, it's a funny how that works. And I think nostalgia plays a a big trick on all of our minds as if, you know, it, it, it would be. I feel like we watch a doc in thirty years. They could do the same thing in the twenty fifteen right. summer with the Cavaliers. Show LeBron James with the twenty fifteen Cavs. They go in and work out that whole summer, and they came back in twenty sixteen and beat right. seventy three. women. They hated. You, know, and, and you build
0: up like they've really yeah. hated the Warriors. Yeah. Steph, <laughs> so like, Steph
1: Steph Curry is now Isaiah Thomas and LeBron. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, right, it's like right. one of these things where it can all it can all be replicated. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And the 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 only thing that I will say is like, uh, you know, I was not there. Obviously, alive in nineteen eighty seven or nineteen eighty six whenever Michael Jordan was basically taking that ascension to be the greatest player in the world. But if you hear Doug Collins just ring off everything that he got in nineteen eighty seven and he's like defensive right. player of the year, They're like first team all NBA, uh, you know, scoring leader, da, da da like, you know, rebounds leader, like we're going through all this different different stuff and I'm like uh, that's just one guy and I know we we are obsessed with stats nowadays and I know that we hear a million stats but I don't think I've ever heard anyone ring off that to be like that's the year for Giannis Antetokounmpo you know what mm-hmm. I mean it seems like it's been a long time since that's been uh what's been read off and I, and I found that to be uh one of those moments
0: speaking of nostalgia I do love that these documentaries uh they're showing all these highlights and clips of just how badass these guys were and uh how talented they were and how every shot was like how did he do that and um it was just a different the players were so much better and then they'll show the final score and it's like 81 70 (laughs) 73 you know uh it's hilarious that that somehow Michael Jordan was the most graceful player ever, and this was like the best era of basketball. But also, we got in fistfights, and final scores were college basketball scores. But you know, <laughs> it
1: was but the it, best. It was yeah. the best. Here's Rick Mahorn, and it's just like just a close fight. Yeah, fire. You're like all right.
0: The other thing I will say, and and I don't mean to hate on Jordan at all, but it, this is the documentary. I we, I we were talking about this before that uh, it is fascinating how anytime any other documentary that's ever been made in the history of documentaries. Uh, there's always there's always like some voices that say now remember it's it's a documentary so it's a little slanted like they're going to be trying to like slant you one way or the other um but with this one no one seems to want to be like now hang on a second like can we get the 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 other opinion like we have isaiah in there but like even then jordan always gets the last word and isaiah's like here's how i remember and then you get you get to see jordan be like he's an asshole he's a liar and then that's that's how we kind of uh leave that um it is, it is kind of funny how just like blatantly this documentary is just like exalting Michael Jordan uh, and Michael George, the greatest. And I'm not saying that as a complaint at all, because I am enjoying every second of it and I love it, but it is just kind of funny that like, we wait until Jerry Krause is dead to make this thing.
1: <laughs> no, it, it was yeah, like, like, no, like we she, wait, we wait until LeBron James beats the 73. Win yeah. One. We
0: wait until like, and then, and then I've, I've, I've brought this up before and I've talked to you about it. That like, mm-hmm. Every story about Jordan, whenever he's, he calls his own shot, always coincidentally he backs it up. And I'm just waiting for the one guy that's like, dude. So, yeah, before game three, Jordan comes up to the opposing bench and says, I'm going to kill all of you guys tonight. And then he goes out and is four for 27 and finishes with 15 points and, we, and lost by 15 like that that story never exists cuz it's just well it does for sorts Le- of confirmation it, it bias it
1: does for LeBron James it does, yeah, it does that's for Le- 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 that's a LeBron James story that's what people But they just
0: buy yeah it's just and then, and then they gloss over they're like in the 91 finals Jordan uh, <laughs> is at the line to win the game misses the free throw so anyway we go to the next game Jordan balls out of out of his mind <laughs> yeah. and wins it I'm like whoa 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 go back to the where he yeah. missed the free throws like can we talk about like but the guy I don't know it's it's so funny and, it, and it's uh it's funny because you see people that are like, "Man, I thought LeBron was great, but this dude Jordan was on another level." And I don't mean for it to be LeBron Jordan. <laughs> I don't mean for that at all, Tate. What I mean for is just I just want to remind everybody that you could, as you said earlier, you can make a documentary about basically any Hall of Fame basketball player and show all their highlights and talk and it's about gonna all be, the, it's gonna be it's gonna be epic if you do Brian yeah. Brian
1: Scalabrini's, you know like highlight thirty for thirty. Talk good.
0: about all the best times they talk shit and then backed it up. You would be like, this guy might be the greatest player that's ever lived. This is yes. unbelievable. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. And that's why the docs are so good. Because then we awesome. fall in love. love we're it. like, yeah, yeah this <laughs> is the best. Yes, this is the last dance. Uh, should we get to shout outs and close outs? Yeah, got- why not? Shout outs, yeah. close
0: outs, wrap this thing up
1: uh shout out to the denver broncos and for winning mm. michael jordan a hundred dollars in 1998 uh, by winning that super bowl i thought that was very sweet michael jordan getting on a bus obviously admitting that he just bet on the super bowl getting his money uh and then also pr- proceeding to say things on a tape about his, his teammate being an alcoholic you know what i mean <laughs> that's a shout out that's a great shout out
0: uh, if we're doing shout outs from the last dance i want to shout out the sniff brothers uh, mm. The one guy that the jerry curl mullet, especially, yes. uh, that was awesome. But um, I love that on night one of this documentary tape, we're introduced to the, the mm. concept of the traveling cocaine circus. On night two, we're introduced to a group of guys <laughs> known as the Sniff Brothers.
1: They were the security guys. so yeah. And
0: then we're supposed to be led to believe that the cocaine circus and the Sniff Brothers have no <laughs> correlation whatsoever. I'm not buying it. I'm calling bullshit. But mm. uh, shout out to the Sniff Brothers, nonetheless, circled around Michael Jordan and talking about it sniffing jocks is apparently why they have their names
1: (laughs) yeah oh man i I, i'd love to think about that uh this is the closeout this is what i i've always trying to figure out what a closeout is a closeout for me is like something that i wish didn't happen so i just want to close it up so i'm going to close this one up danny manning uh who we just Mm. had on the program Uh, we're going to pour one out right now coach manning uh friend of the program we obviously uh respect everything that he was able to do with Kansas. We love to have him on the show. He has uh been relieved of his duties at Wake Forest. Uh Wake Forest is now looking for a head basketball coach. Mark can Titus, I just, what's can, going I just on?
0: can I just say uh yes. a lot of a lot of chatter on Twitter. We we were puffing our chests about the Titus and tape bump that mm-hmm. that that Mark Pope and Mike Bray had great things happen in their lives after they came on our show. And then people were saying to us uh, I, guess, I guess the bump's not perfect. I yeah. guess Danny Manning just got fired. Mm-hmm. The last, mm-hmm. as to my knowledge, the last national interview he did was this show. Uh, explain yourself, guys. And to that I say, the man is about to be paid $15 million to not work. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good deal to me, Tate. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Danny Manning. Mm-hmm. We did this for you. The fan mm-hmm. base hated you. Um, they wanted you gone. So, they didn't deserve um, you. They didn't, they didn't deserve, deserve you, you. They didn't de- yeah. they didn't deserve. They didn't mm-hmm. deserve you. Uh, and now you're going to get paid $15 million to not work. So, I don't know. Seems like a pretty good deal to me. You're welcome. That's all I have to say about that. Who's, who's Wake Forest going to hire? You're the Wake Forest fan in this operation.
1: Ryan Odom, uh, son of Dave Odom, uh, former coach of Wake Forest, Ryan Odom, of course, UMBC coach who beat Virginia knows ACC territory. It Mm -hmm. seems like a Wake Forest hire that'll get like the old Wake Forest fans. excited. the old demon Deacons. They'll be excited.
0: Uh, Wes Miller seems to be the hot name as well. Uh,
1: I love Wes Miller, but I I, I to want to see young? Say, yeah, to, no, what, no, no. How no. do we feel? Wes is a great coach. I love what UNCG is doing. I want Wes Miller to go to a bigger program. I don't want him to keep it private. I want so, him to go okay. to public school. I want okay. him to go to like all right, all
0: right. All right. So the thought the thought with the Wes Miller thing is that he's not going to take this job anyway, even if he's offered, which we should we should mention that the practice court, Wake Forest practice court, is named after his father. Mm-hmm. Um so Wes Miller is is well versed in Wake Forest and Wake Forest uh, basketball here uh but the thought here is that wes miller former north carolina tario is holding out for roy williams to retire and then he's going to be the guy that is a foolish thought tate right like is carolina really going to hire the unc greensboro coach who's let's say he's at the time we give him five more years he'll be 42 at the time are they really going to do like they wouldn't do that he's got to go somewhere else between then right or no? I, think,
1: I think they're going to shoot for the stars uh, early on in that process, and then I think they're going to come back down and they're going to settle on Wes Miller. It's going to be a very Matt Doherty type situation, but I think that Wes is a better fit for UNC, understands the program. Wes is kind of – he's he's low-key, but he's cool. You know, He's cool enough to be able to handle mm-hmm. the job. I don't know if he needs another job. And, and also, North Carolina, we love to play the, you know, oh, oh shucks. You know, this is the, <laughs> the UNCG coach working his way up the UNC system. Yeah. So, there's a little bit of that that could be involved. So, uh, I just,
0: I, I, if I'm West, that's a risky thing, dude. Like, if, if a job, if like, if West Miller looks at the Wake Forest job and says, and he's offered it, and he says, this is everything I want at this juncture in my life, hey,
1: take the job, Wes.
0: take the job. Don't, don't be like, bud, I want to hold off. And then mm-hmm. what would happen if I go from Wake Forest to North Carolina? Am I allowed to do that? And like, don't, don't think that far ahead. Take the job less. That's that's my advice to you. And then come on the podcast, and we'll give you the bump.
1: (laughs) I I I do think that if he does take the Wake Forest job, then he has no shot at UNC, though. I will say that. I think that I agree. He and he knows that. And I think the Wake Forest job is a better fit for him anyway. So maybe just take that job.
0: But if you're if you're the type of coach who is thinking that far ahead and trying to maneuver the pieces on the chessboard like that instead of just focusing on winning basketball games, I don't want you at my school anyway.
1: Yeah, that's not one game at a that's time. Not, that's we, not, need, we, we need one yeah. game at a time. That's our mentality. Yeah, Always today. one game at a time. Uh, yeah.
0: other, <laughs> other names that are being thrown out, Steve Forbes, Eastern Tennessee. Uh, he, he's a hot name. Pat Kelsey at Winthrop, uh, who was the director of ops and assistant at Wake Forest for eight years. Um, both those guys. Pat, Pat Kelsey makes more sense. I don't understand the Steve Ford thing. I don't, I don't have any animosity or any... Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't have anything bad to say about Steve Forbes. I just don't get why... Like, in my mind... Wake Forest needs to hire a guy who's either young or proven and Steve Forbes to me is neither one um I mean he's been a great he's been an, I don't I, I just don't feel like hiring a 55 year old who's been an assistant coach for a million years and like had two good seasons at, at Eastern Tennessee is like really the answer but people seem really excited about him and I again I I am not I'm not well versed enough in Steve Forbes coaching acumen to like I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like the splashy hire and like the kind of direction you want to take your program. I don't understand. I don't really understand that pick, but you know, people know more than I do, so it must be yep. sense to somebody.
1: Well, if it was two thousand six, I would say, "Hey, Anthony Grant, that would be a great hire." Wake mm-hmm. Forest go after Anthony Grant, that would be a guy. But I, I think that Dayton's a better job than Wake Forest at this point, as, as far as fan base, mm-hmm. maybe, and uh, the fact that you don't have to go against Duke and Carolina and all these sort of Virginia, all these other teams in, the, in your conference every single year. Um, so yeah, there's a situation there where Wake's been weird before, like Dave Bizelic, That was that was out of left field. Everyone yeah. was kind of like, "What?" But th-
0: that's why I don't think Steve. Yeah. I feel like Steve Forbes is like the Buzelik um uh, mm-hmm. thing where it's just sort of i yeah i don't know i don't know i don't, I don't think I, you I make don't that mistake i think you do young with ryan odom slash west miller or you do proven with bump drum roll
1: thad effing mata that would be great i would love a thad mata i mean that wake forest needs a coach that can make that program uh resemble something of a winner uh, again because they need that i mean it's been a long time since 2009
0: as a guy who likes to shoot down every Thad Mata coaching rumor, uh, I, I have no knowledge of this. I have not talked to Thad Mata about mm-hmm. this opening. Um, I'm only speaking from my my knowledge of having a relationship with him and just kind of knowing what makes him tick. Uh, number one, Tate, his buyout is up. He is no longer for, – for the last three years, people would ask me, is he going to get into coaching? I would say not anytime soon because he was getting paid to not work. He was making $3 million a year to not do anything. So to basically live in Indianapolis – and go Very to good. Butler basketball games and, and be a mm-hmm. Butler alum. And yeah, he was like, well, I'm not, I'm not. that money has run out. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, he's got, a, he's, he's got enough money to to live the rest of his life and never work again. So I don't, he's not going to be motivated by money, but it, the money has run out now. Uh, <laughs> number two,
1: he's got family. There's always money yeah. <laughs> in the banana stand, Thad. Always.
0: Number two, he's got family in the Carolinas. Uh, he's mm-hmm. got experience coaching at Western Carolina, only for a year. But in the mid-90s, he was an assistant at Western Carolina. Um, so uh,
1: most famous Western Carolina basketball player for anyone that doesn't know this is a good trivia question. Kevin Martin, Kevin Martin is the right answer. Try I like
0: it. that. I like how you just did the trivia the same way ESPN does trivia for the short yeah, yeah,
1: it pops, it pops up. Like, yeah. It's like, right. When you want to answer it's like, all right, well, there's the answer. All right, great. I guess I got it. I guess I'll save well that done. one for later. Well
0: that was great. Um, but no, I, I could see, I could hundred percent see Thad taking this job if he's offered it, which isn't to say, I think he's going to, I don't even know if they're going to, I don't think they're going to even mm-hmm. offer him first. Um, I don't know if they can afford him, honestly, to be, to be frank, like if you're paying Danny Manning $50 million, can you afford to pay that amount of, uh, three, $4 million a year, whatever it is he's going to want? Um, I don't know. But as far as like the fit, this would be a job that that would come back for is a private school. He's he, I think the part that wore on him at Ohio state was, uh, you you know, a lot was made of his health, which by the way, like his health was not as bad as everyone was making it out. His health was not good. Like his back was not great recruiting and and it was taking a toll on him, but like he he is not he is not a guy who's like said, I'm going to hang it up forever because my back was hurting for a few years. Like he's he he's figured out his quality of life since then. Um but what really took his toll on him beyond like all the recruiting stuff, I think, was being just like like you have to like be a politician when you're when you're the face of the the flagship institution of, you know, Ohio, basically. Mm-hmm. It was like Urban Meyer and Thad Mata, and those were the two it was president and vice president. He was basically like the vice president, the vice governor, the governor or lieutenant, whatever the term is of Ohio. And uh, at a place like Wake Forest, you don't have to do that. You represent Wake Forest. You're the Wake yep. Forest basketball coach. You're no, you don't have to go out and like be the fate. You don't have to do PSAs for coronavirus for the state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Or, or, mm-hmm. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to coach basketball and, and schmooze like the small little alumni base that exists. And go to church. Just go to your Baptist Go to your local
1: Baptist church. Yeah, and it. and
0: and praise Jesus in your post game mm-hmm. interviews. And if you do that, you're going to be beloved. And especially, I feel like the bar has been lowered at Wake Forest to the point. And I don't mean to 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 shit on Wake Forest basketball right now, but I mean like if the head makes the tournament a couple years in a row, those people are ecstatic, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of all they really want is like some sort of stability of like, a, you know, that our team is going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't know. I don't think they're going to hire him. I don't think uh, – I, I I certainly don't. I don't think they're going to offer him, but I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there because that would be awesome. That would be so awesome.
1: If they All right, bring that. Yeah, we need mm-hmm. that. We need that back. Uh, I I love this whole episode. We have a special episode on Friday. We should point this out to people. I know that everyone's uh, – yeah, we're we're always trying we to do. find content. The ultimate fan bracket is over North Carolina. They are the champions. We're going to talk about a national championship game. This is a Titus and Tate TNT classic. We're going to have the 2003 game. This is a watershed moment for both of us. This is Kansas and Roy Williams. I don't give a shit about North Carolina, Tracy. Uh, Tracy,
0: how dare you?
1: (laughs) Going against uh, your favorite Syracuse Orange, Jim Boeheim. The zone doesn't work. You can't win titles with the zone. Can we get
0: Tracy on? Can we get Tracy to join the show and just talk about that interview? Please, please. I want want to spend at least 20 minutes talking about that post-game interview with Tracy Wolfson and Roy Williams.
1: We just need to play that clip anytime something happens in the game that we don't want to talk about. I don't give a shit about we're <laughs> going. Roy Williams going to that game. So yeah, the 2003 title game, TNT Classic on Friday. We're going to review that. Uh, that that's a big one. So that's a big shout out. Shout out to Syracuse. Shout out to Kansas. Shout yep. out to Kirk Heinrich. Shout out to Nick Collison. Everybody. So
0: watch that game uh, before Friday's uh, episode if you want to join us. If not, we get it too. You know, not mm-hmm. not it's not everyone's cup of tea, Tate. You know, mm-hmm. these these classic games rewatches. A lot of people out there they're like, uh, not for me. That's okay. That's we, okay.
1: We, we'll we'll be what, back. What on else? Monday what, else you, what, what else? are you doing? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, no, it's on.
0: fine. We'll be back on Monday if that's the case. You can you can join back uh, on Monday and we'll, we'll we'll see you then. Oh, oh, one more shout out. I forgot. I had this written Ooh. down. Uh, Pistons coach who made the the uh, he made an appearance in this documentary mm-hmm. named Ron Rothstein. Did you catch this?
1: Ron Rothstein. Ron for one Rothstein.
0: season. The, from ninety two to ninety three, the head coach of the Pistons was named Ron Rothstein, spelled R O N. Uh, one letter difference between John Rothstein. And my question, Tate, does Ron Rostein ask for an appearance fee to come on podcast as well? I don't know.
1: I yes, don't. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I think, I think they, they might be family, or that was John rostein. That was his old alias.
0: Ron Rothstein's still alive. <laughs> I looked it up. We should have him on the show. We should uh and, and just present it really f- quickly. Just be like, we're having Ron Rostein on the show. Roste- or just say Rostin's coming. Yeah, we're having Rostin on the
1: show. Then We'll rostein, ask you like, about like, the two Hofstra transfers. We'll be like, what do you think about these two guys? What about Melvin Samuels? Oh
0: man! Like, All right, uh, that's the show. We'll be uh, we'll be back on Friday with the 2003 national championship rewatch. Um, join us for that. If not, if it's not your cup of tea, if you're a Kansas fan, you don't want to relive it. Whatever. We're, we don't we don't judge here. We don't we don't expect yeah. you to listen to every second of it. I don't even listen to every second of our podcast to be honest. Mm-hmm um and and, and i record the damn thing so i get it (laughs) uh just join us back on monday or tuesday when the when the show comes out we'll be back next week uh but until then see you guys
1: see you